good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Drones for Good podcast. Um, as you know, my name's Andrew Crow, the host of the podcast, um, and we're into the start of our third season. Um, today, I'm really excited to start talking about the country. Um, today, we're going to start talking about ag and, and tech in ag, and I, I think it's going to go a little bit broader than just our typical conversations around drones, and, and potentially it's going to go into uh, into some other spaces and other technologies um, to do with uh, to do with agriculture and and how technology is helping our farmers, um, you know, put food on our, our table at the end of the day. Um, today, ladies and gents, I'm really excited to have Will Wilson um, along today. G'day, Will. How are you? Yeah, good, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Hey, and in uh, in true farmer fashion, I've got Will um, on Zoom today, and he's sitting in the ute, I think, out in the paddock, um, dialed in, uh, having a chat to us. Is that where you are this morning? Yep, yep. No, I've been. Uh, we've just been mustering got some cattle in the yard for this afternoon to sort out to go to some greener gar- greener grass. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> hey, before we get into your background, where are you? Uh, whereabouts in Australia are you dialing in from? So at the moment I'm at a town near uh, called Wowan, which is in the Calloid Valley, um, not far from Billawira, not about the same distance from Billawira as it is from Rockhampton. Okay, so a little bit of uh, middle of nowhere. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. The, we we call it the beef capital. I think I think everyone agrees. And you must be excited for beef week coming up. Are you heading along to that? Yeah, no, we'll, we'll be having a fair presence at Beef Week, which will be good. Um, it'll be good to catch up from a member organisation from the Ag Force perspective, but also for me as a producer to see where things have ha- where things have moved and where we're at with with agriculture and ag tech and what our what our preface in the market is, because that's our big point at the moment is what people think of us is more important than what they think of our product. Because I think over the couple of hundred years we've been producing it in, in Queensland and Australia. We've worked out that people do desire it. Now we've just got to make sure that they think we're being land custodians, which is the big part of where we've got ahead, I think. That, that's a really interesting um, point. And let's have a quick chat about that before we get into your background, actually. Is there a, the stuff you refer to there, is there a bit of a, a social responsibility, you know, social impact type piece that you're talking about there that, that you know, farmers and producers really have to start focusing on? <clears throat> Yeah, uh, 100%. At the moment, we're spending a lot of our time fighting ideology, I guess, in our industry. But this ESG, I think, is what people want answered from, from producers. We need to show that we've got a good environmental and a good social um, structures that, that means that we can produce food of any description into the future, as well as assisting the world with their position um, as far as our, our footprint or, 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 or the mark we leave on the land. So I think that's the question that we've left open in the past. Um, and obviously the footage that gets out quite often is used in the, in the wrong way and we're not, we're not showing ourselves to be um, uh, good land managers, although we've been in the industry for a long time, so we should be starting to get that point across. But somehow we've got to find... Find the way of, 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 of threading the needle to show that land management isn't just um, producing beef, it's also leaving the land in a better form than what we found it. Yeah, it makes a bit of sense. Hey, Will, let's, um, let's talk about you and, and then let's get into some, some meaty stuff around, oh, no pun intended, um, some meaty stuff around the, the ag industry and, and everything else. So, hey, what's your, um, what's your background? How, how did you end up where you are? 
Well, I was. I'm. I'm one of the probably more fortunate people. I think that I was. I was born into my livelihood. I was born into a business. I'm a fourth generation cattle producer, so I wasn't necessarily born a cattleman. But um, and sometimes I challenge myself on that. But I was certainly born into a cattle business. Um, so in all the generations, we've shown some sort of determination to make business out of cattle, um, in uh, varying from pioneering type stuff. Um, to to entrepreneurial stuff as well as development and engineering. So I've got a bit of a benchmark to step up to with the peers that went before me. Um, but but my life basically has been around agriculture. And I don't think I ever wanted to be a fireman or anything like that. I always always wanted to to feed the world something. And at the moment it's beef, and and they're enjoying it more than ever. I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I've recently got into smoking meats. It's um, I, I read a, a meme or something online that said when you hit thirty five, you either get really interested in military history or or barbecuing and smoking meat. So I've just found this whole smoking meat thing and um, and even just cooking some you know some grass fed rump um over some charcoal on a Weber um, it, it just changes your life. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, there's no doubt about it, and 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 rightly or wrongly, it's a key part of their diet. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that's bred into me. And then the other part of me is the advocacy side. And, and I've only been involved in advocacy now for about six years, which at AgForce, um, building strategies to try and A, deal with the, the ESG side, I guess, as well as deal with the regulatory side, because a lot of regulation come from social pressure. So we need to be there to explain that, to, to explain that, you know, if we've got a problem with land management, the best way to fix it is to work with the people. Don't don't work around the people. Work with them because uh, unless unless we're planning on selling the land and someone else managing it, we've got to work out the better way. So, and that's been my big passion while I've been involved at AgForce, and I, I, I certainly enjoy it a lot more than what I thought because I thought that I liked spending time on the land, but. I actually really enjoy sinking my teeth into into those sort of conversations around what what we can do and and what we need to make us better producers of product in the future. So, um, and let's talk about some of those things you do. So, you've got a few feathers in your in your cap um, or in, in your Akubra, and um, and one of them is AgForce, and we'll talk about AgForce in a sec. Um, and you've also got Calliope Station um, out where where you are. Let's um let's talk about the station first. I'm interested in the cattle side of it. Can can you give our listeners an insight into into Clypey Station and what you do there? Yeah, so Clypey Station traditionally, I mean, there's not too many businesses that do it. Actually, we've been we so we bought in 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 1905. My great grandfather wow. came up this way, um, and and since then through the generations, and he was sort of a war veteran, which probably make up a lot of the. Producers uh, return from war in, in with saddler blocks or ballot blocks, um, and out of uh, since then we've had very few products, and and there's not too many people in in the marketplace that have been in their business for as long as we have that are still selling the same product they came in selling, and that's beef for, for us. Uh, we've branched into to milk uh, at times. Uh, Timbo's been another one. Uh, we've done some. We, we, we didn't get into emus, but we got into crayfish, and that was that was interesting while it lasted. But it was a bit of a tough industry to get a value proposition around. Um, so we've spent a lot of time 
a lot of time over the years focusing on producing beef, a little bit of grain, but basically beef. And and I sometimes I'm very proud of it, but I also see it as a big risk for us moving forward that, um, like I say, a lot of businesses have got more than one product. They might have started selling shoes, but now they're selling garments. So, um, yeah, we need to we need to keep our eyes open for what, what else we can produce so that we can sustain ourselves into the future for another 120 years. Yeah, I think that that whole diversification piece is not something that's um, that's only sort of needed, I guess, in farming, and it's more it's more broad than that. And, and we talk to clients and, and people, particularly producers of aircraft or supplies or manufacturers, um, you know, not just looking at a single industry, but looking more broadly than than that, because you know, single industry eggs in one basket just this isn't going to work. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. I mean. I, I certainly I, I think that a lot of the landscape, particularly the landscape that we manage or, or that is managed under the Clive Cattle Company, um, it, it it's its major purpose is beef. I mean, where I'm sitting at the moment, I'm looking over a wetland, um, and and as far as turning that into farming, nearly breaks your heart um, because it's it's such a it's such a haven for wildlife, and 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 to have any sort of production out of it, it, it is. It is something along the lines of beef, and I think that we've been doing the right thing by land like this for, for the years that we've been here. Um, but um, is there is there some other value that we can get out of it in the future? Hey, I could I could talk to you all day about Clippy Station. I'd love to hear more, but um, just a couple of quick questions on it. Um, where is it, or where does Clippy Cattle Company kind of cover, and, and what sort of head of cattle, or what sort of size and numbers are we talking about? So we're in central Queensland, we, so, so south of Rockhampton or the Capricorn Highway, uh, we've got five blocks in that area sort of thing. So we, we, the, main, the main couple of blocks are at Calliope, which is in between Billawilla and Gladstone, more or less. Um, and then also we've got um, uh, some country in the Calliope Valley, which is where I am now, around Billawilla and out towards Baralaba. Yeah, And we cool. we we we. we, we we manage about about fifteen thousand head in this area. It's just a crazy number. I just can't even get my head around how how you'd manage that um that many cattle. It's it's pretty cool. But let's also talk about um your other role. So you're you're heavily involved in Ag Force um, on the board of directors there and and the chair um for for one of the areas of Ag Force. Can you give our listeners um I guess the the overview? What is Ag Force? What's it trying to do? And and what do you do there? Yeah. Uh... Sorry, motorbike going past. Um, yeah, so uh, we, um, so basically, um, Ag Force, Ag advocacy organisation that, that came together in about the turn of the century, to 2020, uh, 2000, sorry. And since then, um, what it did was amalgamate all of them. So the grain growers, and, the, and there was a couple of cattle organisations, and there was a sheep growing organisation that was also around the edges, not around the edges, but their, their nucleus. It brought them together, and last year we brought sugarcane on. So basically, it deals directly into state government, but we also feed through into the federal government through places like NFF and Cattle Council of Australia, Sheep Producers of Australia, to try and get messages across around what is good for us from an advocacy perspective, um, um, as well as what markets we focus on, um, and research and development, which is really a big part of what we do, um, we, we spend time trying to influence the direction of the research and development that we're doing as an industry. So that's a big that's a big part of uh, of the research of the work that we do is trying to get 
um, the direction of the research, not necessarily the actual research projects, but the direction that the research is going. So you guys have a have a pretty big input into you know what are the problems you're facing and and you know not so much focus on we want this solution but this is the problem we've got is that what you mean by that? Yeah, well, uh, sometimes the problems come to us. You know, we deal with animal welfare things uh, issues, and and a lot of the times it's educational and using the information that we can gather about the way that animals are looked after, for instance, or the way that land is managed, and you probably see it. Um, anyone that lives in Australia sees the stories around deforestation and they're going from very high-level satellite data saying that Australia is highly vegetated on the East Coast. Therefore, it's, a, it's, a, it's an environment that we need to protect and I think producers all agree with that. But there's a lot of that country that's under management so we need to help work the messaging around the vegetation that needs managing um, rather than the, veg- the vegetation that people just want to lock up. Uh, locking vegetation up is obviously um, good, good for the environment while there's not a bushfire in it. Um, <laughs> we, we've sort of shown that bushfires can ruin the locked up vegetation pretty quickly and sometimes some sort of impl- uh, management, stra- management strategy around how you do it is, is really important. And having those conversations have traditionally been quite tough because we felt under threat. But hopefully we're moving it to a place now where we can have a discussion saying, okay, with this type of environment, what is the best way to manage it? And I think it's a really clear and transparent way to talk about it rather than saying, you know, we get pictures of big machines knocking trees down and people think that that's every tree. Well, there's a lot of the time it's all about the management and how we're trying to manage. So that's important that we get that messaging right. Yeah, it makes a bit of sense. And, um, and it seems you're heavily invested in the tech side as well. I, I, I Google, you know, Will Wilson Tech or Will Wilson Ag, and it comes up with, with farms that have got Internet of Things all over them and everything else. Obviously, tech's a, a passion for you. Where, where did that come from? Why, why are you so passionate about tech? Uh, I think, well, I think it comes from my father. Uh, um, there's a story about my father. He, he, he was an early adopter, I guess, which is what tech is. A, tech is a flash word for early adopter. Um, he, um, he oh, the, the secretary, he's passed away since. And I, um, when he bought his first computer, he went to the Apple shop in, in Brisbane and Queen Street. And the person selling the computer said, he said to the person selling the computer, can it, can it, this run a cash book for me? And he said, if you can build a program, it can do it. Can this manage my stock number? He said, if you can build a program, it can do it. Can this, you know, can this manage my, um, rainfall records. If you can build a program, it can do it. And anyway, apparently the secretary that was whipped out at the time when they were leaving the, the room as they were loading it into a truck, I imagine, um, Dad said to the to the salesman, "If you can um, make this small enough to fit in my pocket, I think we can do business." So I think that's something that's always resounded in my pocket as um, as an opportunity you know they've actually done it now and it does fit in our pocket yeah. um, it's how we utilize it it's how we how we can utilize it because i mean in the data world garbage in garbage out so we've got to be fairly cautious and structured about why we're capturing information because unless you can make a decision on it um there's not a lot you can do with it so you know that's the big thing for me now is to work out what the value is because we can capture all the data in the world but if, if the person, our customer, doesn't really care or it doesn't make us more productive, 
And that's what I found when I was doing I heard, which you might have seen. Mm. Now, we had, we had um, 50,000 people around the world using that in 160-odd countries. And we caught all this data about cattle that you would think would have some value proposition. But the fact of the matter is, there is no value in, in, in knowing what you've got or what you're doing with it. The value really is in the product. So it's actually the story. It's, it's, this is, you know, I was in that kind of before, well, as socialized or, or social media or socials came along. And I think that the real story is around the social side of it because the value around how, how many I ran or, or how quickly they grew, that's all me information. That's all data that can tell me something about what happened in the lifetime of an animal. From a customer's point of view, they want to know that it lived a happy, healthy life and they want to know that the environment that it was in was managed well. So if if we keep focusing on the the, the us data, it's it kind of can be seen as stuff that if you can't manage it by eye, why try and do too much with data? It's 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 more about what you can do once you get the data around the, the production system and how you can supply enough from a system like that to make the consumer think, I trust these people. I think they're good, honest people that are making a living out of the land and they're producing me a product I can I can trust that didn't put a footprint on the environment. That's what we want. Yeah, mm. that's um that's really interesting. And and I, I um there was a piece there that you mentioned around, you know, data is useless unless we can do something with it. Um it, it's a it's a common um so I spent, you know, fifteen years in the army and and, a, and one of the things we learn early is um information isn't intelligence. You know, information needs to be analyzed to give us intelligence. Intelligence isn't something unless it's analyzed. And um and I think that's what you're talking about there, that we can receive all the data in the world, but it actually means nothing unless it gives us some sort of product or some sort of output. And I wanna I wanna take that thought that you were talking about there around um, different types of data now and maybe talk about some case studies. Can you give us some examples of some stuff that you're doing or stuff that's on the horizon around these type of technologies? Well, land management's a big one for me um, and footprint. So obviously uh, you might have seen this. I've been been a hobby with drones. I've been mustering with drones and and I, I, I really think that you know, like I said, one of the biggest troubles we have as an industry is the romance of it. And and we're born into, you know, if, if I say you said a Kubra to me, you know, so it, as soon as someone says romance and I make a point of not wearing a Kubra and not wearing riding boots because they're the two things that keep holding us up as an industry because everyone thinks that we that we ride around in, in the sunset through luscious green grass looking for the possibility of finding a cow to sell. Like... It's just not no business operates like that, and 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 I think that we've got to focus on we, we, we we've got to focus on the actual management side of it, and and what we can what we can do to improve it. So go back to the vegetation management. Like how can we how can we show that what we did in a paddock was good for the management of the land and looked after the weeds and the pioneer species. And we, we're managing it rather than what we're showing at the moment is we can't say how many trees we took out. Like the number of trees that were managed is important. So, you know, if, you're, if you've got a vegetable garden and you go through and take the weeds out, your vegetables grow better. So it's just the same principle as that. But how do we show that in, the, in, in, a, in an effective manner? And the technology that's going to do it, going to get us that data, 
is also the one that's going to make us a lot more efficient to do to do the job of vegetation management. So I think that the inter- interaction between the, the social side of it plus with the production side of it is really important. So is this increased focus on social, you know, social commitment, et cetera, is that, is that putting additional burden and cost or, or unnecessary burden and cost? Or, or do you see that some technologies here are actually going to assist us in, in doing this efficiently and effectively in the future? I think it's as simple as if we're not doing that side, we're not getting that social licence mm. and we can't keep going without it. We need to turn the tail around. So we actually, it, it's actually integral that we get it, get that information. Yeah. And what are what are some of the barriers? I, I, I speak to a lot of people, and, and there's a lot of people that are passionate about helping our farmers. You know, everyone wants to help the farmer and and make sure that we're doing the right thing and everything else. And people, there's some smart people in this world, far smarter than me, that are designing amazing you know systems and software and AI and everything else. But I'm not convinced they're they're focusing on you know the problem that you guys you know potentially have out there as well. What what other barriers have you seen? Are there barriers to implementation of, of some of these technologies? Yeah, value proposition is definitely one. That's the one I faced. I mean, finding a value proposition around any sort of any any sort of ag tech, um, it's hard to develop because we're we're romantic, old fashioned producers that like to think that Granddad was a genius and whatever he did, I'm going to do, which is rubbish. Um, <laughs> You know, but but that's the way we are. Is that's the way majority of us are. So, how do we get someone like a high level company to invest big bucks in our industry on the off that we might just say, oh well, I don't need the horse anymore. I can do it with a with a box drone in the paddock and not not leave the house or get someone from Brisbane to do it or or or, or the US. You know, like. That what what mindset the people because it's a massive gain it's a massive value proposition but how do we get the people to to understand that we get willing to go down that path in the future so there's that is definitely a a, a block in the chain as well as um uh, as well as the opportunities around um uh, uh with like uh, so sorry i've got a bit as as well as the pathways that we can create, the the the, the data going in and out. Sorry, if if another example would be, um, I did some advocacy work before I was actually involved in AgForce. There was a bad flood at home, and a valley went out of connect. They they lost access to town, and they had copper wires, and the valley got out of lost their connection. And we ran a fundraiser and raised a bit of money, and we were thinking about giving the money to build, buy an SES boat or, or to build a few fences. But really what they needed was connectivity. Mm. So we worked and we got on the Black Spot funded program and donated the money to putting a tower in. But now what that's happened, the effect on the area is it's brought them forward a century. Mm. So, you know, they sort of nearly parked their horses and carts over it. They've, you know, they've, it's brought them well into the future. And, and, and the thing was, working through that that I understood is, Unless we can show that there's value in the structure to take the data back to the world so that we can make the decisions, there's no, that no one's going to come and build it for you just because they think we're good blokes. That we've actually got to show that we've got a reason to use it. And once the reason to use it's there, they'll be all over us. You know what I mean? Because it's, uh, there's so much, value, so much value to be gained from doing it. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, completely agree. And I think that's that's a really good lesson for the for the industry, I guess, to take. It's funny, sort of two years ago, I was up in Maryborough for an innovation type day thing, and um, was talking to a couple of the farmers out there, and I said to them, you know, why why is there not a higher level of tech adoption? And they said, you know, there's still a generation of farmers who want to go and get on the tractor and drive the fields. They don't want to fly a drone. They want to be out there on the ground because they don't trust technology. Have you seen a bit of that? And do you think the tide's turning around that sort of stuff? I, I, I don't think I can say that the tide's turning yet. I think that people are certainly aware. I mean, this, this device I'm talking to you on at the moment, uh, when they first came in, I people just couldn't comprehend that it could tell you where you were in the world sort of thing. Um, but now they've all got one. So we are making those marginal steps forward towards, I shouldn't be too critical of the industry that I represent, but I think it's really important that, we, that it's clear um, that, that we actually can, but we, and we don't need our hands held to it, we actually need the people around us. And that's why I'm enthusiastic about, you know, the companies that are interested in being involved in it because otherwise we're just right on the coattails of the mining industry or right on the coattails of, of another industry that are willing to do it. So um, whereas I think like, the drone's a good example where finding a drone to do what we need is only developed for something else. You know, it's a consumer drone or it's a market drone, whereas there's no, there's no these ag spray drones that are coming along, but as far as what I'm doing with a mustering, it's very hard to find a drone that can, can that it will be developed for that because at the moment the market is probably 500 blokes. You know, like it's not a very big market share. But unless we could show it, well, why will anyone invest? We've got work in that path. That's a, that's a really good that's a really good uh, really interesting insight you made, Will, particularly around um, yeah you know getting the industry involved. And you're right, you know people aren't going to develop it specifically for the agriculture industry if there's not the if it doesn't look like there's the immediate market for it. And you're right, you're never then you're never then going to get a product that is specifically designed for ag that, that meets your requirements 100 percent because you're right, it's built off finding something else and and doing that, um, which, which is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, we do it. We've done it so so often in this industry with so many things we've done. You know, an example would be the four wheel motorbike, which we're having a lot of accidents on at the moment and we've got a lot of issues around. But the four wheel motorbike was there to replace the horse. The thing doesn't even do what a horse does. You know, so <laughs> and now we're willing now we're trying to protect it rather than being innovative. We should be saying, Well, what do we actually want this thing to do? You know. We want it to be able to avoid lots and fine cows. The only thing that we made it look like a horse is we put a rack to carry hay on the back because we thought it might need a feed at lunchtime. Like it's, it was just ludicrous that we thought the way that we thought when we went, they are a helpful tool, but actually what we actually need isn't what we've got because we haven't, the market made product that wasn't for us, but it worked for us, so we made it work. We've actually got to say, well, what do we actually want out of this? and so that we can actually be in a to get the product in And I'm going to have a bit of a swipe at my industry um, for a second. Have, have you seen people that have, that have come out and promised the world to farmers as well and then haven't delivered on, on what they've promised and then, you know, really burnt bridges, you know, out in the country? Have you, have you seen that occur at all? I think it's the evolution of ag tech, I think, 100%, because it's a risk. So, and a lot of the time, the ideas are coming from not necessarily the people that are on the ground, 
and I can't say that all the ones that are coming from people on the ground work because I've, I've had a few failed attempts. So um, I, I think, yeah, an idea will come. It'll be normally something that's made for another industry, like I say, and it, oh, that might work to count our clear our fence lines or count our trees or, or manage our cattle and we try and imp- we try and implement it in whereas we're not designing anything specifically for ourselves um, and we're the third biggest industry in Australia yeah. we're just made up of 42 something thousand producers um, and there's a lot of variances in how they manage their cattle and how they ma- how they run their businesses that's probably the biggest inhibitor and if I was if if I was part of my you know my industry on the robotics autonomous system side, and I think I've got a good idea. How do you how do I approach your industry about that? Do, do I get up to beef where you can start talking to producers? Do I speak to um, you know do I speak to Ag Force? What, what do what do I do? How, how do I do that? Do you think? Yeah, well, there's of course the ag the the ag tech think tanks and and whatnot that have been been going for a long time. Uh, we've got a bit of a problem with our research and and development in this industry. That a lot of the time we drive it, it's top down, so it comes department down to university or university department, and then down to industry. Um, it, whereas it, it, the ideas are in industry, but to pathway them up through any research and development type program. It's harder to go in reverse. It's very easy for a PhD, like you say, to dream up an idea and then bring it down. But it's not as easy for a for a for a PhD to find an idea and grow it, develop it up. It's always it's it's top down research and development. It's not bottom up. Is and I don't know. What, I'd love to be able to fix that for the industry because we've done a lot of mad research in this industry, and some that we watch happening, we think. Who's going to use that? Like, how does that fix any of my problems? So we've got to change our way of thinking. And so what's the um, – give us the give us the Will Wilson future of, of farming. You know, what, what's farming going to look like, do you reckon, in 20 years or, or 40 years? Are we still going to be doing the same stuff or do you think it's going to be significantly different? I think it'll be significantly different. And it's autonomy or, or – um, I think that the future of farming will look like a house yard in, oh, you think of an upper class suburb, I'd hate to think, but, um, you know, where the vacuum cleaner in the house is uh, uh, an all-autonomous vacuum cleaner that comes out, does what it needs to do, and then goes away. Um, um, the, the yard is, is managed and pruned and understood that you've got 14 rose bushes and an X amount of bougainvillea or whatever it might be. Uh, I think that's that's the future of farming. I think that that's where we've got to end up. Um, um, understanding and naming and knowing every animal, yeah, it's cool. But I think it's actually the land part. So that's my future. Autonomous land management that includes animals as, as the ability, the enabler to manage the land. I think that's that's really where where it needs to be. But understand that the person that owns the the, the the flash house has also got a livelihood outside managing that house to, to, to do, which is their business. Same as people on the land. I mean, um, you can't now, particularly with scale, be out there pruning your trees and that sort of thing. So that part's got to become more autonomous. I'm focusing on that a bit more than I should, but but also, also the, the management of the livestock and that sort of thing. 
Hey, I've got a, a bit of a bit of a left of center question for you. So, um, so you, you guys kind of established your first farm, you know, around the early 1900s. What do you reckon you, you know, your grandfather or great grandfather would be saying about farming today? Do you reckon it's gone in the right direction? Do, do you think they'd be surprised at the level of technology and what's happening? Would they be disappointed? What, what do you think? I'd say they'd probably be a bit disappointed. I mean, we've been through some pretty tough times in the industry. Obviously, it's been in the media that the drought affected us pretty heavily. Uh, we also had a pretty severe effect from the live export ban. Mm. Um, that took us four or five years to get over that because of the supply-demand cycle we're in. The only reason our product's worth a lot at the moment is because there's less of it. Um, so so um, I think they would be disappointed uh, at the moment. I mean... Cost of production, cost of production plus management, it, it, it makes it more expensive. So uh, I look back at what they did over the years, and some of the stuff was unbelievable. And some of the, the communities they had around them, I know that the Culloden Station, when my great grandfather turned up, I think there was nearly 200 people living on the place, and 110 of them were working there. And now we're back to one in charge of cattle and a workshop and a, and a truck driver. That, that's, you know, so actually from a community point of view and, and, and that sort of it, I think they'd be quite disappointed because we, we can't employ people to do what they used to get people to do. So how do we create that environment to have the community around again so that we can grow the areas? And without adding value or adding production, we can't do it. So we... The last 10 years have probably caused us, there's one thing we've done and that's become really, really efficient and reduced our cost of inputs as much as possible, which is not a good way to manage your land. Which has been by necessity, hasn't it? Did, um, was there a significant impact from COVID for your industry? Did COVID do much or did you guys just keep farming on and, and it wasn't too bad? Yeah, the pants of us, like everyone else at the start, um, it, 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 it was probably probably wasn't a big effect um, on us as far as our day-to-day operations. Um, we had a few scares with our market, um, but it coincided it coincided with, and I should be very careful saying this for myself. We've just come out of well, three weeks ago. I thought I was going to have to sell a lot of cattle because we didn't have enough tucker, and then. Now the grass is, we've had good three weeks of rain now and the grass is just galloping out of the ground. So it's a completely different scenario. Um, but yeah, it coincided with a breaking of the drought in March last year, which did take take a bit of pressure off. Particularly, I'm, I'm going to be broad and say New South Wales and some areas of Queensland. But now the far west has had some rain and and I mean, as far as the the assistance that we got through COVID, from the effect of COVID, because we got away with it a bit with our product, because it's such a good product, I guess. Um, but I think that it actually was the best drought subsidy we could have ever gotten, because it, it really helped us coming out of some extraordinarily tough times. Yeah, and I think um, it's funny. About three years ago, my parents um, sort of retired from from work and bought themselves 400 acres out the back of Lithgow or Bathurst, and they're running about 45, 50 cattle. And, and I just um, I remember when they bought it, the place was was dry as hell. And now every dam's full. There's a creek down the back that hasn't flowed for 40 years. That's running and and everything else. So I think um, I think the whole of the country kind of you know has a bit of a sigh of relief when we see some rain falling out west so i'm, I'm pleased to hear that you know stuff's coming out of the ground again it must be not, nice to see 
No, 100%. And actually, that's one of the things around this tech, ag tech. It's because we can't predict seasons, it's very hard to predict, like I was saying. I would have, you know, if, if, if I was a better farmer, I probably would have sold every animal I own nearly three weeks ago. And now I could handle twice as many as I've got. So that's the big trouble with data we've got because how the heck do you deal with something like that? You can look at a future prediction or or, or, or a predictive websites, but if you actually planned on the websites, you might be right eighty percent of twenty percent of the time. Yes. So it's it's it it really messes if it's just a factory floor where you've got stages. We can measure all the data and make some sense of it. Whereas if we measured pasture growth or something like that or, or, or production on cattle at the moment or three weeks ago, we, we would have thought we were going backwards and now all of a sudden we're bolting forward. So it's, it's, it's one of the tougher sides and that's why I keep thinking that the big step forwards in, in ag tech have got to focus on that social side. Yeah, I really enjoyed the chat around the social side. Um, Will, it's something that, that I um, yeah, hadn't, hadn't really considered and it's great to think and great to know that you guys are, are thinking about that stuff because I think it's important. I think that it's going to become, you know, as you said, more important into the future and um, through sustainability if, if, we, if, we can, um, if we can do things that, you know, make it easier to, to re-farm areas, then, then it's going to make everyone's job a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't make sense of sustainability for a long time because I thought, it was just common. It was just what we did, yeah. and now all of a sudden it's starting to. Um, what we're actually, we don't have to prove that we are sustainable. We've got to show how we are going to be sustainable. That's that's the part. Yeah. Hey, well, um, we might leave it there, mate, because um, I'm sure you've got cattle to chase and, um, and we're at about the five-minute five mark. But I'd like to throw out an invitation out to you to hopefully chat again, you know, maybe in a few months' time and we can have some pointed discussions around some things. I know that um, a couple of our team are heading up to Beef Week, um, so they're heading up to, to see you guys. So um, hopefully you guys can catch up yep. there. No, that'll be good. No, I'd, I'd, I'd like to keep in touch and hopefully after Beef, I've found all the answers and and we don't talk about ag technology as tomorrow. We talk about it as yesterday. Yeah. We're worried about more important things. <laughs> and there's an industry, I think, that I think an industry is keen to help and, and, and there's good people, um, although, you know, I'll caveat that with there are some, some ordinary people in the industry that just try to make money at the end of the day um, and not necessarily help and do the right thing. But, but anyway, that they're only they're that 5 or 10%. So, Hey, Will, um, thanks so much, mate, um, for, for yep. all of our um, – for yep. anyone that, that's interested, particularly in Ag in AgForce, where can they get some info on AgForce, Will? Oh, well, Ag, well AgForce, I've got a website, obviously, um, is, is, the best, is the best place to get some information. But, yeah, get in touch with any of the directors. I've got some fantastic guys all around the state on my board in all different parts of um, agriculture from R&D right through – and, um, yeah, so any of the directors I'd, I'd recommend for sure. Yeah, fantastic. Hey, um, I, I might have to um, see if I can bring the kids up too. We'll bring the kids up to Clypey Station and go for a run around and have, 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 have a bit of a look at what's going on. Yeah, that, I'd love it. That'd be great. I mean, I'll, have, I'll have one more to the list. I've, I've converted one a year to loving agriculture. <laughs> well, I love being on this end of it. Um, I've never grown up in the country, I'll be honest, but um, it is good getting out on out on a farm and seeing where things are actually coming from. I think it's it's very easy to sit in the middle of Brisbane City and and head down to you know preferably not not Coles necessarily, but down to your local butcher and picking up some meat, but not really appreciating all the 
the massive amount of effort that's gone on behind and probably the, the lost hair from, from our farmers in, you know, the drought seasons and stuff too. So, mate, I guess on, on behalf of us, you know, thanks for what you do. If, if you didn't do what you did, then then we'd be, um, we'd be probably eating some different stuff. So, mate, well, I certainly appreciate it. That's for sure. I don't think I would have made a very good fireman anyway. <laughs> and I wouldn't have made a good farmer, so that's okay. That's why I joined the army. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we're even. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, thanks, Will. I really appreciate your time, mate, and, and we'll see you up soon. That'd be good. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Cheers.